how much life just this kind of thing can, can bring to a fellowship, right? We're here, we're worshiping God. I hope you've had a serious moment with God already this morning, or maybe a few serious moments with God where you were thinking about your heart, where you're at, what God has done for you. I hope that's been a reality for you. I hope you can remember that God is also playful. God also gives us joy. God blesses us with the kind of creation that just, that just screams to us, says, come out here and play. That's our God. Right? Our God is not only a God of good times, but of bad times, and every time God watches over us. And that's really what I want to think about with you guys today. Today we're going to be studying Mark chapter 6 as we continue in our study of Mark. But I want to think today about why bad things happen. There's kind of a big question that people often ask, why do bad things happen to, how do they finish it, to good people? And so the first thing that I would say is, I'm not sure that there is such a thing as a good person. What's the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I know lots of good people, and you are among them. People who have dedicated their lives to God and have allowed the Holy Spirit to work in them and have been changed and are now new women and new men. But a lot of times people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? As if, if I'm good, shouldn't I deserve good things? That's a big question, isn't it? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? A couple of things I want you to think about as this sermon unfolds. First of all, one reason why bad things happen is because people make bad things happen. Sometimes these things we cause to happen to ourselves, and sometimes other people do them to us. Let me give you an example. Just this morning, I'm always nervous about giving examples about what happened this morning. It gives people the impression that I didn't do anything else all week. But just this morning, I saw this, and it just struck me in such a way that I knew I had to tell you. I was driving to church. I was sitting at the intersection of Waterway Road, or I'm sorry, of Barnsley Road and Old Route 10, so coming out of my road. And I was waiting for the light to turn. And, and if the person who did this is here in the room or watching online, know that I prayed for you and I hope that you are well. <laughs> but there was a pickup truck coming from Waterway Road across, old, beside Walgreens, on the other side of Old Route 1, and coming this way. There was a pickup truck, and behind that pickup truck, there was a long tow strap, about 30 feet long, and tied on the back of that tow strap was a motorcycle with a guy on it. And as that truck came through the red light, pulling the motorcycle with the guy on it, the truck didn't have the throttle just right, and some slack got in the line until the truck sped up and the slack pulled out of the line. And at about four miles an hour, the motorcycle jerked, and the guy on the motorcycle was thrown off right in the middle of the intersection. And there were cars at, everybody was stopped just watching this happen. And the guy took a spill on the ground, and, and it was one of those, like, it looked like, oh, that would hurt, but it wasn't devastating, right? It was just slow enough. You could, it was, it could have happened in your driveway, right? But the truck stopped, and the motorcycle was laying over in the middle of the road, and the guy hops up off the ground and does one of these. He's just, and then he ran up beside the truck and started to yell at I, the guy that I think was his father. <laughs> and the guy started to drive with the motorcycle dragging on the ground behind him. And he went about 50 feet so that the motorcycle was clear of the intersection, and the guy that was on the, guy that was on the motorcycle with his sweatpants tucked into his cowboy boots was walking beside the truck just giving this guy the what for the whole way. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking about this sermon. Why do bad things happen? Why is the gas tank of my motorcycle all scratched up? 
How did I get these bruises on my hands? Well, some things happen because we do them to ourselves. And I don't know in that situation if it was the fellow on the motorcycle or if it was the guy in the truck who made the big mistake. I'm going to suggest to you that both of them should have maybe rethought it before they did anything. But why do bad things happen? Sometimes, and I would submit to you probably even most of the time, bad things happen because people do bad things. And whether the consequences of my actions fall on me or whether the consequences of someone else's actions fall on me, bad things happen and I feel them, right? So that's one category. Why do bad things happen? And I think you get it. I think you get it. You can see it. Sometimes, through no fault of our own, nature just happens. And you saw that this morning when you walked into our church. You notice in the front of our church, there are four glass doors, right? The one on the right, right now it has a piece of contact paper over it, but it's shattered like a car windshield. It's tempered safety glass. It's two panes. And here's what happened. Normally, we keep those four outermost doors unlocked all the time. Normally. The inner doors to our lobby are always locked, but we keep the outer doors unlocked so that if there are deliveries, people can drop them inside. Or if there's ever a situation where somebody's in trouble and they just need a little bit of shelter, we've just decided that our little vestibule can be one of those spots, especially when the weather's bad and that sort of thing. Now, we've noticed over the years that when bad storms come, just because of the way everything is designed and the way that things are and the way that the wind tends to hit us here, sometimes those doors will shudder a little bit. Do any of you remember the storm that we had on Sunday evening? Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, boy, the rain came down and the wind and we had hail here for a couple of minutes. Well, in that storm, those four front doors were unlocked. None of us really thought to lock them when we went home from church on Sunday, but the four front doors were unlocked and the wind caught that one door and opened it so violently that it opened all the way so that a part of the door hit a part of the stonework on the, on the wall of the church and it just cracked it. Whose fault is that? Well, it might be mine because I was the last person that left and I didn't consider locking that door. But we don't always lock that door. Maybe it's the architect's fault. Maybe he designed it wrong, right? It's probably his fault. If he'd have set the building, maybe it was the, the, the plot planner's fault. If, if he'd have set the building at like four more degrees this way, the wind wouldn't. You know what we chalk that up to? It's an accident. It was just one of those, one of those events of nature, Right? And sometimes bad things happen because nature comes. And, and we can tie things. Maybe there's a climate change thing that the weather is worse, and maybe that's why there's the flooding. I don't know. But typically, there are these things, the insurance companies sometimes call them acts of God, right? Floods happen, storms happen, and sometimes bad things happen. So people cause bad things to happen, and nature happens. The question that so many of us ask then is, where is God in all this? And the question that has really flummoxed some folks, caused some folks to question or reject their faith, some people come to the conclusion that God causes bad things to happen. And how could a loving God do so? You're familiar with this line of questioning, right? Let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about this kind of thing. And today we're looking at Mark 6. We're in verses 45 through 56. This is a famous story of Jesus walking on water. You can find this in the other Gospels. Mark is not the only one who tells this story, but today we're reading this account from Mark. If you'll remember, last week I preached about how Jesus fed 5,000, the scripture says 5,000 men. That's just how it named it. So there were likely thousands more who were there who were women and children and not necessarily represented by 
the number 5,000. So Jesus has fed lots of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it was in a remote place. Mark said over and over, it's a remote place, remote place. There's no market. There's no, hey, let's run to Belly Busters or go get a pizza from Andre's or, or, you know, there's none of that kind of stuff going on. There is nowhere to get food unless these people go away from the remote place. And so Jesus and his disciples fed 5,000 men plus all the others with five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus fed them with precision. A crowd of 5,000 men and all the others fed so that all that was left over was one basket full of fish and bread for each disciple. Not bad, right? It pays to help Jesus. You get to take home a free supper. That was Mark chapter 6 leading up to verse 44. Today we pick up in verse 45. What's happening Well, just one more little piece of context before we get in there. In the story in the Gospel of John, when John tells the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, John says that when all the people realized what had gone on, that they had all been fed from just a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, John says, and John was right there, he was an eyewitness, he said that the crowd there wanted to crown Jesus king. They said, this man, they could see his power, be our king. That's a little piece that John recorded that Matthew and Mark didn't happen to write down. Okay, so in our story today, we don't see that, but we know from John that that was one of the things that happened. It's kind of like if if I was to ask Brandon and Austin and Weston to all write a summary of the sermon today when it was over. And if I said, just give me me a, a, a half a page summary of the sermon The odds are that they would all talk about a couple of the same things, but the odds are that Austin might say something that Brandon didn't say because Brandon, he he was thinking about the other thing. Does it mean that Brandon is wrong or that Austin was wrong or Weston has something? He was thinking, you know, the flowers were really pretty today. And while Jesse was talking, and by the way, those kids, remember Squeaky? And, And that's maybe, it's all the same event, but from different perspectives. This is why John says they wanted to make him king. Mark didn't write it down, but keep this in mind, okay? This is what's happening. The people have been fed. They want to make Jesus king. What did Jesus do? Verse 45, immediately, immediately. Mark often has these these words that that invoke this kind of action, like we've got to go. Immediately, Jesus made, this is interesting language, isn't it? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. They've been traveling back and forth across this this lake, this sea. It would have been miles across, but at least four of Jesus' disciples had been fishermen. So going out and hopping on a boat, it's like me telling you, hey, Chad, why don't you drive home and and pick something up and come back? You'd say, all right, it's going to take me a minute, but you don't have to think about it. This is how it is for these disciples. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Why did Jesus do that? Why do you think, if everybody wanted to make him king, why do you think Jesus said, guys, you're getting out of here? That's something interesting to ponder, isn't it? I'm going to give you some time to ponder that at lunch today. Take your lunch time and ponder. What, what would have happened if Jesus and his disciples would have hung around there? What kind of ideas might his disciples have gotten if they said, you know, Maybe it'd be a good idea if Jesus was king. Because Jesus was avoiding that whole thing. Jesus never took an earthly office in all of his ministry here. He never, he never said, politics is how I'm going to get this done. Now, perhaps that is something that a, another person might be able to do with righteousness and goodness. But Jesus didn't go that way. 
Jesus, when the crowd started to say, this guy really is something, let's put him in control of a kingdom here on earth. Jesus says, nope. So immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. We're clearing out of here. While Jesus dismissed the crowd. He got, he got the disciples out so that they might not be tainted by all of this talk. And Jesus said, all right, that's nothing to see here. Everybody, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And then verse 46, here's what Jesus did. Remember what he's done. He, he has just very recently fed all these people, and they loved it. They were so impressed. They wanted to make him king. Jesus says, this is not good for my guys. They're going to get the wrong idea about who I am, and they might start trying to push me into things that I'm not planning to do. And so he dismissed his disciples, got rid of the crowd. What did Jesus do then? Verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. What did I say to the kids? Even when things are going bad, when there's chaos around you, you can't go wrong by praying. And so here's Jesus. He went up on a mountainside to pray. You see verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. And, and we think lake, a lot of us honestly, like when we think lake, we're thinking ponds. That's, that's kind of our context here. Oh, we got a little rowboat, you know, row to the other side of the pond. These guys are in a lake. This is a big, huge lake. There's a possibility that they are a couple of miles out. Okay? Not a couple yards, not even a couple hundred yards, perhaps. There, there's a good chance that they're a couple miles out in the lake. But later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. So he's been praying for a while to God. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. How did Jesus see this? If the wind is against them, and they're potentially miles away. Well, remember, he is the Son of God. I mean, if he has the ability to feed 5,000 people plus with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, I think he can keep track of his little band of fishermen, right? Don't forget here, Jesus is the Son of Man, but not just the Son of Man. He is also the Son of God. So Jesus was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. These disciples who were fishermen, these disciples who were probably young men in their 20s, maybe their early 30s, these guys who knew how to handle a boat. This isn't like, this isn't Jesse West and Austin and Brandon trying to, trying to row their way across some lake, right? This is guys who know what they are doing. And they've been at it for hours because when they left Jesus, it had been in the evening. And now this is later at night. In fact, it was shortly before dawn. These guys have been struggling for hours. It would have taken them an hour or two, perhaps, to go across the lake if, in just normal conditions. Now they're out there probably six, eight, nine hours struggling at the oars. Can you imagine the panic that might have been in their minds? Guys who knew the sea. Guys who knew how to handle a boat, and yet guys that had been that frustrated. Have you ever been at that spot? Like, you know how to handle yourself. You know this world. You know your job. You know your place. But have you ever gotten to that spot where, where you realize, because you know how it's going, you realize, okay, this is turning bad, and you start to have that panic? Like, in the area where I'm in most control, I'm starting to see that, okay, this is trouble, and your adrenaline spikes and your heart rate spikes, like sometimes you see that. Even if you're the expert, even if you know what you're doing, you can start to realize this is turning south. I wonder if these disciples would have felt that way because they've been at it for hours. Jesus saw, though, that the wind was against them. So shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. There's an indication here that Jesus saw it and kind of let it go for a little while. And he walked on the lake. He didn't run on the lake. He walked in the lake. He didn't magic himself out to the boat. 
He didn't teleport. He didn't say, they need me right now. I got to go. Jesus could have done that. There's stories about Jesus vanishing in a crowd when people wanted to kill him. I mean, Jesus is the son of God, mind you. He could have called legions of angels. Angels, go help those boys. No, he watched, he saw, he let them struggle. And then shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Very interesting. Did you ever notice this before? I didn't notice this before I studied it this week. I don't like to announce those things to you because I like to think I know everything. A lot of us are that way. I'm just admitting it. He was about to pass by them. I never saw that before. So he saw them struggling. The wind is against them. They're working hard. They've been working hard all night. I don't care how fit you are. You're out there rowing against the wind for hours and hours and hours. They'd have been exhausted, noodle arms. And here's Jesus walking out on the lake, about to pass him by. Hey, boys. Like, can you imagine this? This is what the scripture tells us, right? He was about to pass them by. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. Now, the disciples thinking they saw a ghost doesn't mean that ghosts exist, okay? I've heard people say before, well, the disciples, they were Jesus' followers. They thought they saw a ghost. That means they knew what a ghost was. That means there are such things as ghosts, so let's watch a scary movie. I've heard that kind of argument. No, what I'm telling you is these disciples, they've been with Jesus for about a year. They've been following him around. They've been learning a lot. But how many of you have been following Jesus for a year and still don't know everything? I raise my hand to be in that crowd. These guys, they're out there. They've been going all night. It's right before dawn. They're exhausted. What do they think it is? It's a ghost, because honestly, what else is going to be walking on the water? Your imagination goes wild. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. And then immediately, so Jesus, this is the second time we hear immediately, right? Jesus, who was going to pass them by, Jesus, who was just going to maybe even and give them one of those things saying, how's the rowing going? Jesus, who was going to pass them by, when they cry out to him, when they admit their terror, I don't know, what else were they doing? Were they admitting their weakness? Were they admitting their futility? Were they just admitting what they were all feeling, their terror? There's a lot happening here. But when they saw him and they cried out, he spoke to him and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. You remember the opening question, why do bad things happen? Here, Jesus, let me ask you another question. Why are these guys in a boat in the middle of the lake? How did they get there? How did they get there? Did they just decide, you know, Jesus can probably handle this crowd. It'd be nice to take off. Is that what they did? What does the scripture tell us? Jesus told them, right? In fact, it said in verse 45, you'll remember, I noted the words, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. You know, there are times where we find ourselves in situations where we were pretty sure that we were called there. I'm pretty sure God told me to be right here where I am. And yet this is all going badly. I'm pretty sure Jesus told us to get in this boat, right? And I don't know if Jesus had a weather app or whatever, but I'm pretty sure the Son of God could see a storm coming. Jesus told us to get into this boat. Didn't he know? 
And, and he's been over there and now he's walking. Why didn't he help? We've been rowing all night. Sometimes things do happen that feel bad, that seem bad, and that on the face of things may be bad. Sometimes though these things happen and we experience them because we are where God called us to be. Church, let me tell you, there are things that are uncomfortable, that are not nice. There are things that happen to us. And God says, yes, I put you right there because I want you to go through this. Why? Because sometimes that's what it takes for us to finally cry out to God. Sometimes that's what it takes for God to finally get our attention because what happens when things are going well? Well, we try not to, but most of us, frankly, just forget about God. Most of us, honestly, don't have our most intense prayer times when things are going well. Think about yourself. One of the times that you have cried out to God with like the most verve, vigor, passion, the most fire. When do you call out to God the most? Is it when things are just great? For some of you, I know it is. Some of you are built that way. You look at just a beautiful day. Oh, Lord, I praise you. What a glorious day. This is going to be awesome. But hey, a lot of us in this room, if we're honest, when has been your most intense time of prayer? When is it that you're calling out to God the most? And God wants us to call out to him all the time. But when does that usually happen for you? Isn't it when things are rough? Isn't it when things are hard? Isn't it when, in our language we would say, when bad things are happening? Now listen, I'm not going to stand here today and try to put a silver lining on every single thing that happens because here's the thing. There are people in our world who are acting with evil intentions. We know that there are powers and principalities who are being guided by Satan who are doing evil things and God is allowing some of those things to happen for now. We know that evil things happen. And so I, I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, there's a war in Asia right now and it's wiping out like tens of thousands of people, but, but it's okay because probably it's going to be good for... I, I, don't, I want to be very careful not to minimize that, okay? You understand? Like, not all good things are like, yeah, or not all bad things are like, yeah, on the positive side, let's just be positive. No, what I'm telling you is this. I'm telling you there are things that happen to you and around you that God has designed to happen so that he can be close to you. God wants to be close to us, but he allows us to run away. And sometimes it is the bad things that call us back. I just submit that to you for your consideration. And now we're going to have a quick commercial. This commercial is for Pine Grove Church in Bowmansville, Pennsylvania. Pine Grove Church is a church much like ours. About as many people as are sitting in this room are sitting in their sanctuary this morning. Pine Grove Church uh, formerly was called Pine Grove Mennonite Church until a number of years ago they decided to change, and that's what they did. Jonathan Yoder was their pastor there for a long time. Some of you have met Jonathan. And Pine Grove Church is part of the AMEC Alliance of Churches, of which Waterway is a part, one of 28 churches. Pine Grove is one of them. Pine Grove's pastor right now is a fellow named Shane Simelon. Shane Simon. Shane's a young guy. Um, he has actually a history in broadcast journalism. That was what he was trained in, but he heard the call to ministry. And, uh, and I was meeting with Shane and a couple other pastors this week, and we were talking about how we prepare for sermons, how we prepare to preach. And I said about how this week I'm preaching on, on Mark chapter 6 and Jesus walking in the water, and Shane said, I just preached on that on Sunday. They, we didn't know this about each other because we just hadn't talked about it, they are also preaching through the Gospel of Mark this year, and they happen to be one Sunday apart from us here, 30 Sundays into the year, 40 Sundays into the year. Nope, that couldn't be right. 20 Sundays into the year. 
So it's kind of fun. And, and here during this little commercial, I'm just going to admit to you one thing. I don't know if it's helpful to hear another pastor's sermon before I preach the same topic. Because I heard his sermon this morning, and I liked his better than mine. So I'm going to tell you, you can find it online. Just search for Pine Grove Church. It's in Bowmansville, Pennsylvania. Pastor Shane's sermon from May 22nd. And here's what he asked last week. I almost changed my sermon to steal his idea, but I decided not to. He asked the question, does God ever give us more than we can handle? Have you ever heard someone say, or have you ever said yourself, well, God would never give me more than I can handle. And I'm not going to tell you exactly how Shane unpacks it because I think it'd be good for you to hear it yourself. You can hear in the first five minutes of his sermon what he thinks of that. But what he basically says is baloney. That's not in the Bible. It tells us that God does not allow temptation to come upon us without giving us a way to deal with it. The Bible does not say that God won't give me more than I can handle. And that was interesting to me because I read about these men in the boat in the middle of the lake and it looks to me like God gave them more they could handle. However, where Pastor Shane went with it is, if God gives you more than you can handle, it's so that you can turn to him who can handle everything. Now back to our regularly scheduled program, the sermon that I actually prepared, which is kind of like junior varsity compared to what, compared to what Shane has online. Maybe you can listen to it and write your comments back. It says in verse 51 of Mark chapter 6 that Jesus climbed into the boat with these guys and the wind died down. They were, read it with me, church. What are the last four words on the screen? They were completely amazed. They were completely amazed. Which they would be because, of course, to, to have that kind of power, to make the weather listen to you. I know some of you would like to have that power. You don't. But to be able to have that power that, that says, I can control the wind and the rain, that would be something. But Remember what they just saw last night. I mean, should they still be so amazed that, that the guy who could do that with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish to feed all those houses? By now, shouldn't they kind of get it? I don't know. But they were amazed, for they had not understood. Oh, verse 52, they hadn't understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So when that loaves thing was happening, they apparently were not thinking godly things. They were hardening your hearts. You could do a long study on that. That's interesting stuff. But basically what it means is they were not thinking with a mind of God. They were thinking with human thoughts, human perspective, which all of us should acknowledge is quite limited. They were thinking when Jesus was giving out all of these loaves and fishes, oh, they were thinking something, but they weren't thinking about it from a godly perspective, which, by the way, might explain why Jesus wanted to send them away as soon as it was all over. I wonder if they were getting sucked into the same thinking the crowd was. Hey, we can make Jesus king. We can take hold of this world by force. We can exert all this power, and we're going to be the generals. I don't know, but that would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, they hadn't been thinking right. Their hearts had been hardened, but now they are completely amazed. They are starting to maybe finally see things a little bit more the way Jesus does. It took an act of nature to make it happen. It says in verse 53, when they had crossed over, that is when they got to where they were going, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus because, of course, they did. 
These little towns around the lake, each of them only had a couple thousand people. Jesus, just yesterday, fed 5,000 men, plus all the others, probably 10,000, 15,000 people there. People have been coming from everywhere. They know Jesus. He's a rock star at this point. Jesus is protecting his disciples from that kind of an attitude. But here they are in the middle of it. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the power of Jesus. Church, what I want to submit to you today is this. Bad things happen. They do. And we can ask the question, why does God allow bad things to happen? But I'm going to tell you, church, that God does not promise to answer our whys. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, I'm going to reveal my whole plan to you. No, God says, I am God. Trust me. And God reveals, puts little breadcrumbs out, sometimes shows us exactly where we ought to go and exactly what we ought to do, but none of us has the whole picture. God reserves that for himself because, again, he is God. Bad things happen, and we can ask why. And it may even be good for us to ask why because that can help us drill down to, okay, why is this happening? What can I do? How should I respond? How do I avoid causing this to happen again? These are good questions to ask. But we cannot ask why and then begin to accuse God of anything other than goodness. When we ask why, and when we try to process all the bad things happening around us, one of the things that we have to do is keep our faith and our trust in God front and center, or we will be taken out. Some of you know what it's like to be undercut by your doubts. Some of you know what it's like to feel like God is not there for you and that you have to now face this difficult decision all by yourself, this difficult situation all alone. You know this feeling, right? And do you know what it's like, the disciples in the boat facing the storm did, do you know what it's like to just come to that spot and say, I don't have the strength to deal with this. I am not able to deal with this. I am trying my hardest, everything I know, everything from my whole life of experiences, and I cannot manage this. You know what it's like to be there. In those moments, what we must do is remember that the God we serve is the same one who fed 10,000 people with a bag of food. The God we serve is the same one who walked out on the lake right when the disciples needed him, and just made the storm stop because he can. The God we serve is able to do those things. He was able to do them 2,000 years ago, and he's able to do them now. This is the God we serve. I'm going to tell you one final story before we, before we wrap up. I had a dream this week, and, and I don't want to sound like one of those people who sits at the breakfast table, I had a dream. That gets really annoying really, really fast. But I dreamed this week, and it was weird because I don't very often have nightmares or whatever. But this was a nightmare. This was like, in my life, top three scariest things that I've ever dreamt. And, and I'm not going to tell you all the contents of the dream, but there was, there was a guy who was just doing bad things to all kinds of people, and nobody wanted to stand up against him. In my dream, nobody wanted to stand up against him because they were afraid he was going to come after them. That was my dream. And I woke up. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. Friday night into Saturday. I woke up and, and my heart was pounding. And I, I'm not 
an anxious person, right? We all have our things that we deal with. I know some of you deal with anxiety. That's not one of my things. So when, that's, when I'm anxious, that's a little different. And I could feel anxiety in me. Woke up in the middle of the night, Melanie's sleeping right beside me soundly. So apparently I wasn't thrashing or yelling or anything like that. But I woke up just totally, you know, it, it was weird because I knew immediately that it was a dream. I knew immediately that it wasn't real, but I was still scared. I don't know if you've had those kind of dreams. Like I, I, was, I was scared of the dark for a few minutes. I was scared to get out of bed for a few minutes because I just didn't want to put my feet on the floor. Again, in my rational brain, those are absurd thoughts, but that was how I felt. Some of you can identify. Let me just tell you what happened that afternoon. I was talking to a young man that day who told me about nightmares that he has and how difficult they are. And so I don't know if I was dreaming because something was planned. I don't know how dreams work. All you pop psychologists, don't write me emails and tell me why. I, 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 I know. But there's a lot of mystery here, right? But I was hearing him talk about nightmares. And now I was laying in my bed 12 hours later, woke up from a nightmare. And, and, and I just had that sense of like, that was all fake. That was all my imagination or something. That's not real. But yet I could feel the feelings that came along with that dream. And so here's what I did. And I did this just because, number one, that young man's face came to my mind right away. I was like, wow, he was just telling me about bad dreams. These are the connections that I make at night. I don't know what to tell you. But I've, I've been around you all, and I've been around church long enough that I believe it's true what I said to the kids and what I said to you a little bit ago, when we're, when we're lost, we should pray. And I was just so scattered. I was like, all right, I got to pray. And let me tell you, it was really interesting how in that moment, I, I felt like I was in a bad place, even though I was safe in my bed at night, doors locked, family sleeping around me. I felt like things were bad, but I'm going to tell you it only took a few minutes of prayer for God to calm me down and get me back to a place where things were okay. Now, that's just a little thing, right? It's a dream in the middle of the night. Of course you pray, and of course you settle down, because your body, you're going to come back to your right mind. But church, how often do we forget? When bad things are happening all around us, whether it's a dream or whether it's something that somebody did to us, whether it's something that's happening in nature or whether it seems like something that, that I don't know, God put me here. How often when things feel bad do we forget to pray? I was so excited when I woke up yesterday morning. One of the things that I, I, I texted that young guy who had, who had told me about his dream, like, you'll never get, I had a dream last night and I prayed and like God kind of delivered me out of it. I was just excited that, because I remember I'm like, wow, God's pretty neat. You know, I didn't stay up all night. But I remember that because it's so unusual, because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget to pray. It's easy to forget to call out to God, to cry out to God. It's easy to forget to turn to God when things seem bad because we just have this natural thing in us that I'll handle this myself. I'll just row harder. One of the lessons I think that comes out of Mark chapter 6 here is that when we cry out to God, God has more than enough to deliver us from whatever bad thing is happening around us. Sometimes in his timing, God does not deliver what we'd like to have when we'd like to have it. He doesn't work on our terms. But when we cry out to God with all our hearts, God will deliver us. He will. In his perfect way, in his perfect time. We can trust him. We can trust him. My invitation to you today is to soften your heart, 
Don't let it be hardened the way the disciples were. Soften your heart. And when bad things happen, like they do, I hope that you will keep looking for God. And if you have an oar, keep rowing. Can we pray together? Lord, help us to remember that you have more than enough power. You have more than enough provision. You have more than enough grace and love and awareness. Lord, you have more than enough of those things for all of our situations. Lord, help us to remember when we are in the midst of bad things, when we are in the midst of bad times, when we feel swallowed up with our bad feelings, Lord, help us to remember that you haven't forgotten us. You haven't lost us. Lord, help us to remember that that we have a God we can cry out to and who will deliver us when the time is right. Lord, help us not to let our feelings drive us away from you. But Lord, let our faith keep us close. Thank you, Lord, for the example that you've given us of Jesus feeding all these people and Jesus stopping the storm and Jesus being able to heal all these people who even just touched the edge of his cloak. Lord, I thank you for the witness of Pine Grove Church and Pastor Simon as he's been been preaching through Mark 2. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them today as they minister your gospel to the people in their community. And Lord, I thank you that we can be here today reminded together that there is strength and there is power in you, that we can trust you and that you love us. So God, we are yours. Lord, we will accept whatever circumstances you bring our way. But Lord, we will cling to you because we know that you are true and trustworthy and good. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Congregation, will you stand and sing with us? The, the final song today is called Overcome. See if you can find some truth in these words.